You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Father in heaven, thank you so much for uh, our dads today and the impact that they've made on our lives. And we thank you, God, for being our heavenly father, perfect in every way. Thank you that you not only allow us to talk with you in prayer, but you long for us to talk with you in prayer. And as we continue to look into your word for a few more minutes this afternoon, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and just lead us and guide us and change us as you choose. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Great job, Rebecca. I love that. Do you, do you want to do the other one too? <laughs> uh, hey, my name is Ivan Veldhuizen, in case we haven't met or you haven't been here yet when I have uh, done some teaching, but it's a privilege for me to be with you today and, and a few other times as the summer goes on, so it's, it's my privilege. So we will continue in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Um, and the theme that we're looking at this summer is our true home living in the household of God. So we're really learning what is God's design for us as his body, as his church, to live well, to live together, to live in a way that actually fulfills our purpose and influences the world around us in the way that truly honors God. So how do we do that as a body together? And um, <clears throat> as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, I find it fascinating at, at what is here. And it's been a personal challenge for me this week as I've been reflecting on this. In the first chapter of 1 Timothy, we've seen Paul writing to his mentee, Timothy, and sharing some very personal things. And last week, Paul just said, I'm so thankful. This thankfulness fuels me uh, because God has chosen me to be this apostle and have this kind of ministry. And number one, I don't deserve it, but God's counted me faithful anyway, even though I don't deserve it. And one of the reasons that God has chosen me, Paul said, is because I'm, I'm so messy. And if he can use someone who has been as messy and is as messy as me, he can use anybody. And that's one of the reasons he chose me, Paul says, because I was so messy. And he wants to show that he can use and transform anybody. And so <clears throat> this was kind of the, this personal stuff that Paul is sharing with Timothy. But now we come to chapter 2, and he begins to talk specifically about what the church is supposed to look like and how we are supposed to function together. And I find it fascinating that in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, if you look at your text, it will say, first of all, then. All right? Paul just gets done praising God for his amazing mercy and his grace. And he says, first of all, then. In other words, here is a priority for us as believers in the household of faith. He says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, 
for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, I'm just telling you, there's such a, a mouthful. There's so much content in what Paul writes. So we're going we're gonna to capture some of that today. But I want you to notice, first of all, um, that there is a priority of prayer. Now, we're going to just... We're going to look at those four different kinds of prayers that are listed here, but we'll just in general talk about it as prayer. That's the word we understand, or communicating with God. But uh, the, the, the priority of prayer, first of all, it is importance, important in priority and in order and in value. Now, prayer is one of those crazy things, I think, in the church and even outside the church that we talk about it so much, but it's so hard to understand. I don't know about you, but I find prayer to be so hard to understand. If God knows everything already, why does he need us to tell him, right? Let's just be really honest. And yet, throughout Scripture, we see the godly men and women who are running hard after God are men and women of prayer. They communicate with God. I think in part because we have a relationship with God and relationships always involve good communication, right? Both ways, both ways. And uh, it takes time. Good relationships take time communicating with one another. Um, but still, there is so much mystery to prayer. And this, this text actually is not just about prayer in general it's about prayer as believers who are really tracking with God's agenda. So he says, first of all, here's, here's the thing. Of all the things that Paul could have told Timothy, he said, first of all, first, make sure that you are praying. And not just praying. It's, he says, it's, don't pray for yourself as first priority. He says, pray for other people. In fact, in this text, he says, pray for people you know and people you don't know. People who are in positions, he says, kings and those in authority over you. So it's people you don't know, people you've never met, but you know about because they influence your life somehow, and people that you know. It's the priority of prayer. And it's not primarily praying for yourself. It's this sense of selflessness in prayer and otherness directed that is a priority for us as believers. So it's the priority of prayer. Now here's something that is always so uh, mysterious about prayer to me. Does prayer change God or does prayer change us? Okay, and this text would say probably both or that God works through our prayers, but prayer changes us. And I want you to see this. Uh, as you look at verse 2, it says, "For Pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, if you wrestle with what Paul is really saying here, it's, um, it's quite profound. Because he's not guarantee guaranteeing that our prayers are going to change the people around us. Or, let's just speak in practical terms, our president or our governor 
or our mayor or our civil leaders. He's not promising that prayer is going to change those people. But as you pray, it will change you, okay? It will change you. In fact, it will help you to be a person who is peaceful and quiet. I think in a way, what Paul is saying in a nice way is, if you talk to me about other people and the frustrations you have with those in authority over you or the people around you, you're not going to talk to everybody else about it, okay? Let's, you and I have the conversation and we, you, that will enable you to lead a peaceful and quiet life. That is, as he says in verse 2, godly and dignified in every way. Godly, literally, to have the character like Jesus, to be like God, to have the character of Jesus that others notice. And dignified is a character or a level of quality of character that makes others around you respect you and see you as a person of great honor. That's what it means to be dignified. Now, this is pretty amazing because Paul is saying, as, as first priority, as followers of Christ and as, as of the church of Jesus Christ, make sure you are praying for other people all around you, those you know and don't know, so that your heart and your mind is changed and you can be a person who is respectable and godly and peaceful and quiet rather than someone who is always complaining and irritating and posting things on Facebook about people you don't like and, you know, we could get really personal, right? And I really believe that what Paul is saying to the church is, um, wow, prayer changes you no matter what the circumstances are around you. Now, when we look at what the Apostle Paul's situation was, there's even greater evidence that that's what he's saying. During Paul's life and during Paul's ministry, there were two Caesars, emperors of the Roman Empire, that were in power. One was Claudius. Claudius was... uh, Caesar of the Roman Empire for for many years, and he is known for expanding the empire. He expanded the empire into Britain, down into Africa, and through the Middle East. So he and he he built infrastructure and roads and all kinds of things. But much of what Claudius was doing was wars. He was killing people and totally disrupting the lives of people to expand his empire. The other thing about Claudius is that when he had someone in the Roman Senate who he wasn't sure was on his side, he would eliminate them, all right? So he would kill people off so that he would have the power and be able to have his way in the the affairs of, of Rome. This was not a nice guy, and the people of Rome knew this, and the Apostle Paul knew this, and when he says, when you pray for kings and those in authority over you, that you may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul is thinking about Claudius, I can guarantee you, because there are probably a lot of things he would love to say about Claudius that wouldn't honor God, okay? And then Nero was the next emperor. You know, Nero's mother killed Claudius, okay? Nero's mother was married to another man who died, Claudius married Nero's mother. 
So if you can track this, Claudius adopted Nero as his son. And once Nero was adopted as the son, Nero's mother killed Claudius by poisoning so that Nero could be the the Roman emperor, the Caesar. That's how Nero became Caesar of Rome when he was 13 years old. And I don't know how much you know about Nero, but Nero was famous for killing Christians, burning their bodies in public. He made the amphitheater games famous, where Christians were often killed by wild animals and all kinds of other sordid ways. Nero was an evil man. And finally, at the age of 30, the Senate of Rome realized that Nero was out of his mind. They cut him off, and he committed suicide. Now, I share these these ugly things just to help you see that Paul, when he writes about praying for people who are in power over you so that you can lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, is talking about people who... uh, would put some of our leaders to shame, all right? And this is a challenge for us, to pray for others, not only leaders, but all of those around us, those you know and don't know. That's the priority of prayer, and it's critically important for us as Christ followers. All right. Secondly, I want us to see in this text the principles of prayer. There are some principles of prayer here that, that are important for us to understand. So we have four different words for prayer in verse 1. Okay, let's look at that quickly. Supplication. I'm going to just, just tell you what these mean in the original language. Supplication is telling God your needs and wants. It's petitioning God for something. Trying to, to get him to hear you and respond the way you want him to respond. That is supplication. Now, a lot of times, our prayers may feel like they're mostly supplication, okay? And I'm not sure that God really wants our prayers to just be asking him of things, but I want to remind you that it's okay to ask. And in the context of this passage, it's asking God for things for these other people you know and even don't know, okay? So supplications. Prayers. Prayers, in the original language here, literally means conversation or dialogue with God. Do you ever just have a dialogue with God? Just a conversation with him? And and this is supposed to be typical of uh, us as believers. Third, intercessions. Intercessions is the, the Greek word that was used to talk about a meeting or an interview on behalf of another. In other words, you're sitting down as a reference for someone and you're talking with God about someone and what that person may need and how God can step into their life. That's intercession. You're talking with God on behalf of someone else, okay? And then thanksgivings. We all know what thanksgiving is, right? But here's the interesting thing. In the original language, that word is eucharisto, okay? Does anyone recognize that? Sometimes when we take communion together, in some traditions it's called the Eucharist. It means thanksgiving, saturated with grace, okay? And, and a, this text is telling us to, give, to be thankful for those around us, those we know and don't know. Maybe we could say, 
those we like and don't like, to be thankful. So I think it's important for us to realize that there are many different dimensions of prayer in this text that challenge us to uh, change the way we talk with God, and again, in this context, about those around us and interceding and praying for them um, on a very regular basis. But here's, here's another principle of prayer in this text. Because if you look at verses 3 and 4, it says, this, by the way, this is referring to the beginning of this section. This, praying as a first priority and praying for others, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. <clears throat> now what what Paul is saying to us is, don't just pray for those around you, pray for their salvation. Pray for them to be transformed by the presence and power of Christ. So this is our role as Christ followers, to pray for others who need to know Jesus, even leaders we don't know. So it's in, in this text, Yes, it is just praying and talking and having conversation with God for those around us or over us, but it's even more than that. The emphasis is to pray for their salvation because God desires that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now again, as I said as we began, I don't understand really how prayer works. I just know that Scripture tells us to pray and to pray regularly. And to be really honest, prayer has always been a challenge for me. I've never been the kind of prayer that I want to be. But I know that prayer accomplishes amazing things in my life and in the lives of those that I pray for. Early on in uh, our ministry in Minnesota, in fact, it was my first solo pastorate, went to a small church that had not had a salvation in that congregation in 40 years, okay? And uh, <clears throat> after we were there uh, a year or two, we realized that the last thing these people needed to do was learn more. That's all they did for the last 40 years, is learn more. They needed to put it into practice what they already knew. So uh, we shut down what they called Sunday school at the time and formed prayer groups that held one another accountable during the week. And everybody was challenged to list at least five people on their prayer list that did not know Jesus, okay? And these groups started praying together. They prayed together every Sunday for 45 minutes when they came together as a group. And they held one another accountable during the week for praying for these lost people, these unsaved people on their lists. And we did that for nine months straight. And nothing happened. And people would come up to me and go, we want to go back to Sunday school. Why are we doing this? And I said, just keep praying. I, this, is what, this is what we need to do, just keep praying. And I just have to tell you, after nine months, things started to happen. And in the next six months, we had 59 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. In a small, yes, in a small church of 120 people, we had, we had 59 people come to faith in Jesus. And every one of those people was on someone's prayer list. Isn't that amazing? This is what God wants us to do. Sometimes we are so casual and so uncommitted in praying 
for people who need to know Jesus. There is never a guarantee. But when God tells us to pray for people who need to know Jesus, he's saying, do it and see what I will do. We met in our home church today, this morning, and uh, one of the, the ladies in our home church just happened to share that there are three people she graduated from high school with. And she said, I'm going to pray until all three of them come to know Jesus. She said, I've been praying for 20 years, is it, Susan? 20 years already. And she said, two of them already have come to know Christ. And she said, I'm going to pray for that third one until they know. She said, sometimes it may take 30 or 40 years, but I'm going to be faithful. And I love, I love that orientation. Here's what I would challenge you to do, especially as you think of being a church that is made up of disciple-making communities out there in your neighborhoods and in your communities, that you begin to, if you haven't already, you identify five to seven people who don't know Jesus and just start praying for them. And if you can, get some others to hold you accountable or help you to do that on a more regular basis and just see what God will do over time. Because according to this text, he says, just pray for those around you that they may come to know me because God desires that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And if we are faithful in praying, God is faithful to do his part in bringing others to faith in him. That's, those are the principles of prayer that come out in this text for us. Now, real quickly, there's a paradigm of prayer. And uh, I would say, what are the correct conditions for prayer to take place in, in an effective way. And let me share this from verses, uh, let's see, verses five and following. Let me just read that. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, let me just, as I wrestled with this, how does this fit into the flow of this text? And we don't have time to get into the, into the nitty-gritty of this, but let me just tell you where, where I've landed. I'm quite convinced that this, this is what Paul is trying to tell us. He's telling us that... Okay, there is one mediator. Rebecca helped us understand what a mediator is. This is what Christ has done for us. And what he's saying is, you've got to pray for others around you because Jesus is mediating. He's there to make peace between them and God. In other words, your prayers aren't just going up somewhere like uh, oftentimes we hear newscasters you know, just say, oh, well, keep them in your prayers. You know, it's kind of become a cultural statement. We don't know what where the prayers go or anything, but it's kind of well wishes, okay? No, we have a mediator who hears your requests, your prayers, and he will take action to make peace between them and God, okay? So there's a good reason to pray. You have a mediator. Secondly, it says here, that Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. Here's a, here's a second reason to pray like Paul tells us to pray, because Christ has, has paid such an incredible price. 
not only for you, but for every person around you, those you know and those you don't know. Christ has paid an incredible price. So if he has paid such a great price, is it too much of a small thing for us to do our part in asking God to step into their lives and intercede? Okay, it's a small thing. And here's the third. Paul writes about himself. For this, I was appointed a preacher, okay? In other words, to help people come to know Jesus. I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Gentiles didn't know Jesus, generally speaking. They didn't know who God was. Paul says, I've given my whole whole life for this cause. What's he saying? He is a model. Paul is presenting himself as a model, saying, I'm giving everything to see people come to faith in Jesus. It's a small thing for you and me to pray regularly for the people around us who need to know Jesus too. So it's a small discipline for us to see lost people come to faith in Jesus. And again, I'll bring us back to the beginning of this text. First, as a priority in time and order and of value. He is calling us as his church, his people, to pray for those we know and don't know, those who are engaged in our lives and those who have rule over our lives, that they may come to faith in Christ. May God bless you in that incredibly high and important calling. Let me lead us in a prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your amazing love for us, that you have paid the price, that you have given your life as a ransom, as a price that you paid that no one else could pay on our behalf, but you have done it for us, and we are so grateful. Help us, Lord, to see people around us like you see them, Give us the eyes of Jesus to see people who need to know you. Give us courage to pray for people we don't like so much, even those who are in authority over us. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to be more like Jesus and to really care enough to pray enough. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com. 